Ghost Gum. The nicotine gum? Oh, yeah. Have you switched to the gum entirely? Yep. Oh, wow. Dude, I've been on... Oh, hang on. All right, there we go. I should sound better now. Yeah. Entirely on gum. How is that? I mean, I've been on it since France. Like, like after my months. first week, I was like, yeah, so... It's just the game now. I haven't picked up a vape in a while. Oh, it's painful to watch, you know. <laughs> Crave it. Yeah. <sighs> Does it help, though? I mean, isn't the gum supposed to know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it definitely uh, prevents me from feeling like a crazy person. Like, it does it. It works. It's just not as satisfying. It's just different. Like, I mean, it's never going to be the same as, like, inhaling smoke or vapor. I mean, in the same way, inhaling vapor isn't the same as inhaling smoke, but after a while, like, you adjust to it. But I still have the... It's not the nicotine craving anymore. It's the physical habit. Really? Yeah. In terms of wanting to vape, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I just want to inhale things. Yeah. Nothing like it, listeners. Nothing like breathing carbon monoxide. Nothing like it on planet Earth. You can be a gum chewer. Like you said, it's nothing like it. (laughs) You can do this. Not as good. It's really appealing. Um, to attracting mates. To chew gum? <laughs> yeah, I was being an asshole. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Chew the gum out loud. Snap it. Yeah. Snap that shit. Yeah. Smoking still looks way cooler. I mean, vaping looks really lame. There's no getting around it. Oh, it yeah. just sucks. But it is satisfying. The thing with vaping is that you can up the nicotine levels to even higher. At least you used to be able to. You probably can't anymore with all the FDA regulations that are coming down. But you used to be able to turn up that nicotine dial so that when you were first quitting, you know, like smoking, you could become getting more nicotine from the vape than you would from any amount of smoking cigarettes. So, like, that actually, like, helps you get over the cigarette craving. So then you start to crave the vape more than the actual smoke. We immediately switched to lower... Like, I I was on a much lower nicotine. And, like, I can't chew the four milligram gum either. Like, it makes me feel sick. Yeah. Yeah, I can only do the two. I've never really felt sick from nicotine before. I guess I've gotten nicotine headaches when I first started vaping. And you get, like, super high milligrams. And I would get, like, nicotine headaches from, like, going too much. Because you're just vaping all day long. You're yeah, well, that was the other thing. thing. Even though I was on, like, the lowest level of nicotine that you could get for a vape, I was... It was constant. And I had, like, <clears throat> this constant kind of, like, anxiety about will I be able to vape at the next thing I'm doing? Like, do I get all of my vapes in now? <laughs> really? But it's surprising how quickly you adapt. I think... Also, it helped that I was, like, in airports for a solid 24 hours straight when I was going. So I, like, had already sort of adjusted a little bit. Yeah. When I go to airports, I just vape in the bathroom stalls. But, like, 
on a plane, what do you do? Like, say you're on a nine-hour flight, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, a nine-hour flight, you'd have to get, like... Some gum. 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 Or, you know, like, I don't... You know, my vape, It there's a little bit of a smell, because I just use, like, tobacco-flavored vape, you know? And which, I mean, if listeners don't know this, if they do... <laughs> It doesn't taste like tobacco, right? <laughs> it doesn't taste anything like it, but it's closer than, like, I don't want to be, like, lemon like, cotton candy. Like, like, like tobacco perfume. Yeah, and it's not, like, it's, Tobacco-scented like, perfume. It, it at least doesn't, like, reek up, like, a bathroom if I were to puff a few vapes in an airplane bathroom. Like, it doesn't, uh, like, reek it up like lemon cotton candy or blueberry or something. So you get away with a few hits. Just to, not, like, you know crazy hits just uh you know little tiny ones just enough yeah. get that outside i was doing a disney world too i would go there and i would just like puff you're not supposed to vape or smoke in places but shit dude that pisses me off it too, is liberating man. though it is liberating being like i don't have to worry about this yeah it's just a piece of gum we're all just slaves to the addiction dude but that's the thing that is like pisses me off about vapes is that they keep trying to regulate them as if they are tobacco and i mean like as if they are the exact same thing and like they are not they are not like like they're like oh you can't vape in here it's like yeah well it's a completely different from smoking dude like this does not stink up the whole fucking place for months if you light a cigarette like it would if you light a cigarette or something like this literally dissipates in a couple seconds and you're gonna sit here and tell me like Oh, well, it's just as bad. No, it's not. It's not even fucking close. And we all have to pretend in order to pass these fucking laws to treat them exactly the same. And it just pisses me off, dude. All the time. I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is not the same as smoking. Not even fucking close. Not like all the things you would complain about smoking, right? Well, it's not not tobacco. Well, I'm not even talking health issues. This is not tobacco. I'm not even talking, like, health stuff. I'm just talking, like, it doesn't smell up the whole area like a fucking cigarette does, right? It doesn't get in your way when you're just walking by, like, kind of thing. Oh, and you get a stench or something. Like, it's not that. Like, so why are we pretending that it's that? Well, because Because we have to. Because kids are using them, Yeah, dude, but, I mean, that's going to happen anyway. Well, of course it's going to happen, but. Well, that's the justification, right? Oh, we're trying to save kids. But, like, they're regulating this more than cigarettes now. So, I mean, they're I can not understand trying like, to save oh, kids. You know, they're doing all these candy flavors and fruit flavors and blah, blah, blah. Which like, are already banned not, by the FDA. Like, yeah, so. you wouldn't find that in tobacco. And also, it's, like, kind of gross. Well, you do find that in tobacco. That's why the FDA right now, currently, is you trying to find ban... that in tobacco? Well, they're... I mean, cur- like, you, you find, like... Am I too loud? Because I'm getting feedback in my... I mean, not on my side, but on your end, maybe. I don't know. I'm getting some feedback in my headphones. I can't tell. We'll see. Maybe it sucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. With uh, well, I mean, like with some tobacco, like you know, what was it? Uh, Marlboro Twenty Sevens. Was it Twenty Sevens that I was always smoking? See, I don't even fucking. When I met you, you smoked Twenty Sevens. Yeah. Yeah, and. Uh, like they always had kind of more of a like a sweeter flavor i'm sure it had some like shit in it well i just mean in terms of the fda is moving right now there's legislation pending it was held up a little bit because of course you know altria group and the big tobacco companies are suing the shit out of it right now to stop it 
But yeah, that's why they're trying to ban menthol. That's why they're trying to ban flavored cigars, flavored blunt wraps, all of that stuff. Like, it's trying to be banned. Like, why? Well, the the guise is to protect children, but I mean, come on. Like, banning is just going to make kids want to do it more. So it's like... <laughs> It's not going to help. It's just going to make my life more difficult, more expensive, as it already Blunt has. Blunt wraps are just a container so. for drugs. It's like, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's always going to be something. I mean, there were... The thing is, is that like, it doesn't have to always be something. That's what pisses me off, is that they could have just left us alone. Like, the vaping could have just been left alone. But yeah, no, but it no, was, no, like, no, also no. never about you, who was, like, someone who was, like, trying to stop smoking cigarettes. It was about, you know, all the high school kids. Yeah, which is still, again, what is that, below 20%? I mean, yeah. yeah. I, so I no it's been hovering around there for, like, the last couple decades since we basically, like, uh, you know, the 90s when we had the huge big tobacco uh, 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 lawsuits and all that, basically. When all that ended, when you and I were kids, you know, no more advertising on TV, no more advertising on, like, certain things. You can't no use cartoons. No more smoking in restaurants. No more smoking sections. Uh, well, that happened a little bit later. That was, like, I 10 know, years later. I know. We saw later. that die. Yeah. That happened right as I was smoking, too, so that would always be, like... That happened right before I became a smoker. Like, oh, really? Fuck. Well, I mean, technically, I was a smoker underage, so, like, when I would go yeah, to I shows was... and you could still Now smoke. I would have been, yeah. right? Because they raised it. Now you have to be 21. Yeah. Yeah, which is, again, this is a new thing that happened at the end of 2019 there. So there's been a war on this from the FDA for like the last, you know, last couple of decades, but it's really ramped up in the last two years. It's uh, been honestly insane what they're doing. But I guess most people find this boring because they don't give a shit. There's only, what, like 30% of people that smoke or use tobacco products like this. So, yeah, most people don't give a shit, right? Yeah, but. now I'm just a slave to gum. Now I'm a gum chewer. Yeah. I chew gum. Yeah, dude. Fuck gum. Fuck gum. Yeah. Fell asleep with it in my mouth a couple times. I have seen those lozenges, and those Found lozenges are quite... my t-shirt. The lozenges are quite cheap if you buy them from, like, Fuck a lozenge. Walgreens. That doesn't give me anything. Like, I can't... Really? I need to be able to, like, chew on something, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure they work just fine. Because I thought about that, because the lozenges would be, like, good in a pinch. You just suck them, but, like, that's... Yeah, I don't know. More on nicotine, dude. Pissing me off. Heavy. Bored. Heavy. I am heavy, heavy, heavy. Bored. Figure out how to say your name. No, I still say Crystal. Crystal. Right. Heather Crystal, like thistle, but Crystal. You know, it could be pronounced a different way, but we failed to do the adequate research to find out. It doesn't matter. I mean, I had never heard of this writer until you put her on the list. Yeah, she was recommended to me by a, a friend who I went to grad school with. That's what I'll say. 
It was yeah. a recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> recommendation. Well, it ended up on our fucking list here. We ended up, I ended up buying it, copy, and reading it. So, this is Heavy Board. I'm Andrew Wittstadt. I'm Pitchy. And this, today we're doing The Trees, The Trees by Heather Chrisley. And I've got very little to say about it, quite honestly. And this was originally published in 2011. Uh, we have the second edition here, which was published later in 2019 by uh, Corsair, the British publishing house. Uh, I think this is probably one of the only ones you can find. It's like an imprint of the Little Brown, because, you know, there's really yeah. only like four publishers in the whole world now. Uh, so you'll be able to find this one on Amazon. Uh, as always, we'll link it in the description, because you should always be building your library out. If you don't like a book, sell it, give it away, but buy books because you need to support books if you like them all right and then let's just do the housekeeping because i like to do that before i fucking forget so before we jump into this book of poems here a reminder to listeners we're looking for workshop horror stories uh you can send those to heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com we'd like to hear about it commiserate it we're going to read some of these with your permission on the on the air here and we'll have a nice little show about it all that good stuff. And if you don't know, our podcast is available on all platforms. Subscribe to whichever platform you choose, your favorite. We're on there. We have a Patreon for just a few dollars a month. You can receive full uncensored episodes. So you never miss one. You'll never get paywalled out. And that's available at patreon.com slash heavyboard. Uh, if you can't afford that or don't want to, there are other ways to support us. You can support us by liking, sharing, subscribing on YouTube, any of your various platforms that you consume this podcast on. Leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify, any of the places you can review us. That helps us out. So there's plenty of free ways to support us as well. We always, uh, much love to the listeners, as always. Anything else, Seth? I think that's it. Right? I think that's it. Yep, that's it. So that's housekeeping again. Send us your workshop horror stories. Heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Want to get into that? That'll be a lot of fun. All right. Fucking the trees, the trees. <clears throat> Went over published. Do we have the same edition of this, Soph? I think we have the same little, yeah. little green copy here from Little Brown. Uh, initial thoughts. What do we think? I had fun in places. Uh, frustration in others. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> um, I... I feel like this book, it, it needs... I need more time with it. <laughs> but also, maybe it needs more time. <laughs> you mean to, like... like each, uh, I, like... I could use more time reading some of the poems, but there are a lot of poems from my initial read that I thought, and I'm a big believer in reading everything, you know, at least twice, especially with poems. So anything that I say, take it with a grain of salt because I haven't really had the time to, you know, go back and do multiple reads. Um, I did for some. Want to, yeah. Jesus. Um, but I will say that I had a hard time with this book. I really wanted to like it, especially, you know, like when a friend recommends you a book, you really want it to be good. But 
there were a couple poems from this book I liked and the rest I really find difficult to wrap my head around. I know that I have said in the past, like, I don't know how much it matters that every poem makes complete and total sense. Um, but when it feels like you're trying too hard to make meaning from a whole collection of poems, like you get all the way through it and you're still really trying, it can be a little bit frustrating. And some of that might be about what your preferences are as a reader of poems, what you are looking for out of the experience of reading poetry. Like, you know, you, if you're just looking to read for the joy of sound, like that might be a different experience than looking for poems that have a specific and singular thing to say. And not all poems do, you know, some of that is about preference and some of that is, you know, well, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah. I think it was Fran Leibowitz, uh, who said, um, you know, when I get recommended a book by a friend or something and I don't like it, I judge them harsher than if they recommended me anything else. <laughs> like, and yeah. I hold it against them forever, like kind of thing. Like, it's just like, oh, you recommended this book and I think it sucks. Well, it's, uh, it's forever ruined my uh, respect for your taste kind of thing. Yeah, which is common and that's how everybody should. You should be critical about recommendations and you should trust your taste and what you think. But, yeah, I did not. The, for me, I had a complete, I rejected the book entirely basically to keep it short i found it hard to read when i was about halfway through i had to stop just because i was so bored and uh kind of frustrated with this book yeah and for me it was the frustration yeah maybe. what do you mean by frustration like a, we well should... for me it was like trying to follow like what are the themes in this collection right because it is a collection of poems and whether it's just like you know uh, we see a lot of collections that maybe uh, are trying to be do something that's like more narrative we see collections that you know try to have some kind of arc or some kind of central theme or um, something that ties them all together and sometimes you know you just see collections of poems that are just like that poets poems that year um, and often even then they still have a connection somehow in theme or in style or whatever, but trying, even though these all like, you know, they follow the same structure, at least in terms of form, like they look similar on the page. So you can sort of hang on to that. It didn't feel like much to hang on to. And I had a hard time tracking what was happening in these poems. I had a hard time tracking what were the major themes in these poems and I had a hard time trying to figure out what if anything these poems were trying to gesture toward and maybe it's you know not as much about like having a single concrete thing to say so much as it, they should gesture toward something um, beyond themselves and I didn't always feel that happening yeah, for me it was, I was frustrated with just the lack, the lack of everything in this. Uh, we'll get into this and we'll go through a few poems here and we'll come back to it. But yeah, I was kind of very frustrated with it. Um, 
not just for what Sophie already mentioned in terms of lack of themes, lack of overarching kind of, um, uh, what's the word for it? Symbolism, maybe, if we want to get fancy with it, although that doesn't, that, you know, that's not a requirement of all of good poetry. We all know this, right? We can all grant the counter arguments, but yeah, I found this very hard to read simply because I found it boring. I found it juvenile easy i found it childish vague <laughs> um yeah and we texted back and forth about this we'll get into it and there's a couple blurbs here she got a lot of blurbs from a lot of big people i mean she i guess we have relatively little to say about it yeah they of course they do yeah but I mean, we should let readers know a little bit because people probably don't know who she is so she is the heather chrisley is the author of poetry collections i'm just reading from the book here guys so it doesn't have all her work but it has a couple of her books in here the difficult farm 2009 the trees the trees like we said originally published in 2011 although republished in 2019 which is what we have uh and this book won the uh believer poetry award what is that do we even know the what the believer poetry you know the award? believer yeah what is that I mean, the Believer magazine. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Where is that based out of? Is that independent or is that a university? Or um, Let me double check. I don't remember. Yeah, I've never fucking heard of it, so I don't know. Maybe yeah. I've heard of it and just... It's a big one. Went through my mind. Uh, sh what is Amazing in 2012 and then uh, Heliopause 2015. Uh, work of nine fiction, The Crime Book, is out in November 2019. So that's out. She was a creative writing fellow in poetry at Emory University. She's been in the New Yorker, London Review of Books, Poetry Magazine, from New Hampshire. Oh, is it done? The what? magazine had been sold by the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, to Paradise Media, hmm. which is a digital marketing company. Blah, blah, blah. Huh. But it looks like maybe they had a final issue in March. Yeah, because if listeners don't know this, the literary magazines, uh, they don't make money, so they have to be supported by a university endowment or something like that uh, because they don't make any money on their own. Poetry Magazine, right? Very big, very... Uh, probably Looks like biggest. maybe it's now back at McSweeney's. Sorry, go on. Yeah, something like the New Yorker, right? London Review of Books. Well, they have subscribers, right? So they're not a, a profit loss, like a, a profit-losing endeavor. But Poetry Magazine, The Believer every university magazine is is losing money right like it costs more than it actually make off the thing they don't make any money off of it uh so you need to have these large endowments to support it or you need to have a university endowment that shells out a few thousand a year to be able to print and uh, send these everywhere put them out in the world so there's that aspect to it um her mfa was uh massachusetts so umass amherst big mfa program is that the one year no that's boston university right yeah, that's that's BU. Yeah, the one-year accelerated. So that's like a two-year typical MFA, University of Massachusetts. Uh, Massachusetts is either two or three. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, and I wonder if that's where she got some of these blurbs. But, I mean, there were a lot of big names. So, like, yeah, James Tate blurbs, Mark Dottie, Kathy Park Hong. They all uh, blurb this. James Tate calls the poems magical. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dottie says her poems are wide awake. Um, yeah, these are sort of vague yeah, things to say yeah, about Oh, her poems are wide awake. Okay, Mark Dottie. Yeah, um, uh, yeah what is... 
That's the thing about poets. We like to say things that mean nothing sometimes. Well, because we have nothing and to say. get away with it. <clears throat> yeah, because, again, there's nothing to say and nobody cares. So you can just and get away with it. And then we praise our nonsense. friends because they're our friends. Right, exactly. Um, uh, the interesting blurb here that I wanted to talk about and maybe make fun of a little bit was the uh, John Darnelli quote, or John Darnell. Is that how you say it? Darnelli? I think it's Darnelli. Darnell. Listeners that don't know, he's don't... A lead, yeah, he's the lead singer of the Mountain Goats. Uh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. He wrote a few novels. I think he's written a book of poetry too. Um, I haven't read though. I assume they're not good, but uh, yeah, that guy's a weirdo. I saw them live once, and uh, it was one of the weirdest fucking shows I've ever been to. Not weird because of like what they were doing or playing, but like weird because of the audience. Like the audience was like the most unusual like group of people that was brought that were like brought together by this music i had ever seen like it was like straight up like there was like hippies there were like you know the folk punk people and then there were like straight up like junkies that love it because of john darnelli's like you know heroin songs essentially shit like that like it was a really weird group of people that like all crammed into the shitty club in Baltimore, <laughs> shout out to the Auto Bar if anybody's listening. Shout out to the Auto Bar in Baltimore. I think it's still there. Maybe it shut down. I think it's still there. It's the only place to go see like cool indie acts in Baltimore for a while. So, anyway, John Darnelli's quote here, and this is this is why I want to point it out, is because this is what John Darnelli has to say in the blurb. Uh, if you're thinking about a new tattoo, may I recommend dropping your finger onto any random phrase in Heather Chrisley's new book? That's how keen her ear for the off-the-cuff aphorism is. How neatly her lines break into glistening parts. You get the impression of the Oracle of Delphi trying her hand at stand-up or jamming the broadcast of the nightly news. Chrisley's gift for welding surreal visions to living speech rhythms keeps unlocking new surprises page after page at least once per poem. You feel like the triple bars just lined up in the slot machine window and you laugh or cry out. So very high praise from John Darnelli, lead singer of the Mountain Goats. He's going to make it through this if it kills him, right? Yeah, but all the praises, like, there are great phrases in here. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, there are wonderful individual phrases. <laughs> They're magical. But actually says nothing of the actual poems. Which I I find frustrating in a review of any kind or a blurb. Like I want a blurb to say something. Yeah, for listeners, a lot of listeners, magic. yeah, a lot of listeners might know this, but you know, like how the blurb industry, like how it works in the publishing industry, right? You get a contract for you know your measly little like twenty five hundred dollars in poetry. You probably won't even get that, right? And then uh, they ask, well, do you know anybody that would be willing to blurb your book, right? Because they're not going to do it for you. Like, they want you to do all that work while they, you know, give you very little in return kind of stuff. This is how the industry is set up right now. So then you send it out to people. You send it out to maybe, like, a big chance person, somebody with a big name who may or may not get the, the mail in time to give you a blurb. And then they just blurb it out for friends, you know, acquaintances. Uh, and usually it's just, like, a favor that's done for you by, like, you know somebody else in the industry somebody big that you hope could help give your book some praise and get it out there so in this case you got a couple big names right like james tate mark dotty huge names i think both both those guys are are pretty much canonized at this point right that like they're old enough 
that they're in all the contemporary anthologies put out by the canon, you know, the canon makers, whatever you want to make, you know, mm-hmm. say of that. But yeah. So, you know, you, you take blurbs with a grain of salt sometimes, because a lot of times it's just people being nice for their friends or whatever. Uh, all right. What about this quote in the beginning here that starts the whole book? The uh, Russian translation? Is that a translation or is it just... Oh, yeah. I read about what this quote was from, but I don't remember. I should have written it down. It's in the back of the acknowledgments. It was taken from a poem called Daydreaming in the Mists of Spring Labors, and it was translated by Simic. Charles mm. Simic, for listeners who don't know. And Simic, he taught it. You met, no, he was in New Hampshire, wasn't he? I have he his was, book right here. Yeah, but Simic's mainly, most of his career was spent at New Hampshire, right? University of New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, not UMass. Right. But I guess he was close enough. He probably was there all the time, readings and shit. All right, so yeah, the quote is, uh, I don't care about the flowers, which I merely invented, to give myself another reason to address you. What do we make of that? Think of that. Um, I think we can make a couple things of it, depending on how we want to read this book of poems. We have, in many, I think, a speaker addressing a reader, right? And pointing out things in the real world, maybe in the real world, maybe in an imagined future, uh, maybe in a real future, that we might read more or less as just a way to address a reader. Or we can read it as um, maybe being kind of critical of this kind of statement or this kind of uh, way of approaching the world, of not paying attention, of only pointing to things as a means to address something else. Excuses for expression. Right. Um, But also a lack of attention to the real world, which I think comes up in terms of theme yeah okay. or just paying attention generally which i think we see in the first poem yeah when the first poem is what told me listeners that i was not going to like this <laughs> uh, i like it's like okay okay i was like oh john darnelli blurb in very 2011 and then i was just like ah, ah, i'm not gonna like this yeah, well, I mean, what do you think about, like, what do you think is going on with this first poem? It's that air of ruthlessness in spring. I mean, I didn't think much. I mean, we have this interesting kind of play with um, a sentence that keeps changing. So we have, here is the hand, here is the hand on my face. It's not my hand. It's a beautiful day. Like, it just keeps sort of evolving. So I thought that was, at first, interesting. I can hardly believe anything. What about you, who are so frequently touching some part of the world? What is it you're touching today? When I touch the trees, the trees think man-child. They are so wrong. But it is a human face I put on. I am hung up under this weather. I am hanging on tight to a swing. When I go up enough, I jump then I am not touching anything. When the world thinks I've disappeared, I am just having a little fun, not much fun at all. Are you sad? Did you touch the world the wrong way? Everything is always happening and not just for show. I want to show you something. I don't care what. 
I want you to look where I say. So I think that's a pretty direct connection to that first um, quote that we were just talking about, right? I want you to look where I say. I don't, I want to show you something. I don't want to show you anything in particular. I just want to have something to show you. I want you to look where I say. This is not a poem that bothers me very much. Um, I will say there's a lot going on in the middle that I'm still sort of making sense of, but the more I read it, the more I make sense of it. So that air of ruthlessness in spring, the ruthlessness... But I don't... I want to know who you is, other than... I can only read you here as the reader. I mean, there's a lot of this. Like, There's a lot of like the random um, you, know, you, we... Everything's lowercase but the I, very 2011. That is true. Um, that does feel very 2011. Um, the, like I said, the sejuras don't bother me. So everywhere I paused was where there's a sejura. These are still, you know, essentially prose poems. I do think there's something here about, like, paying attention to the world and also wanting to disappear from it. Um, <clears throat> wanting, you know... When I go up enough, I jump, then I am not touching anything. Then the world thinks I've disappeared. I'm just having a little fun. Um, I think that kind of lends itself to some of the... There are some themes about like staying inside, being alone, solitude, not going out, versus going out and paying attention to the world. There's a way in which it feels like touch here is kind of a way of referring to you know, actually happening or existing, right? If you're not touching anything, do you exist? Which I mean, we know the answer is yes, but like, it's a playful first poem. I don't hate it. Yeah, I just don't understand what it is. Yeah, I mean, well, there's that middle section of this poem, right? From I can hardly believe anything up to I am hung up under this weather that I have a hard time with, that I like can't seem to chew on enough. Well, and this is, this is why I said I had an issue with the vagueness of these poems, is where there's just so little here that we have to do a lot of work to <clears throat> wrench out some type of, well, what is he saying? Uh, yeah, I do find myself clinging to particular phrases to try to make sense of it. Everything is always happening. Yeah, and I, I get that. I get, would you say these and are like not just for show? Would you say these are like a play on the lyric, or? Yeah, they are absolutely. I mean, I would absolutely call these, at least. I don't. If not lyric, I'm not sure what else to call them. Right. Call them bad poems as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I. The only reason I don't want to call them lyric is because there's no attention to like sound whatsoever. I don't necessarily agree with that. Like in this poem? There were moments where I heard rhyme. Here's the hand. Here's the hand on my face. It's not my hand. It's a beautiful day. Again, I can hardly believe anything. What about you who are so frequently touching some part of the world? What is it you're touching today? When I touch the trees, the trees think man-child. Um... There's that anything touching, they're lined up right underneath each other. It's not like the loudest sound in poem. 
I think sejuras count as attention to sound, but I know what you mean. There's not a lot going on in terms of rhyme. There's maybe a little bit of consonance, a little bit of assonance. Yeah. And then like the repetition of the same word over and over again, I think that it just gets boring and dull. Uh, I'm just having a little fun. Not much fun at all. Are you sad? Did you touch the world the wrong way? Everything is always There is a point at which playfulness stops being fun for the reader. Everything is always happening. I'm just like rolling my eyes, you know. Okay, everything is always happening. I'm just like, you know. That's I'm just it's the vagueness of things like that, and I know, and I get like people would probably be like, oh, well, you know, that means everything's always happening. I'm like, yeah, okay. Uh, Yeah, there are. Um, there are a lot of other things I have questions about. Like, I mean, we get this you in the title of the next poem. You are my guest again. I take this to be the reader. I take this to be a poem addressed to a reader, an imagined reader. Um, the poem that follows that one, Jemapel Ivan. I don't know why it's in French. Am I like, is there any reason why I should Which think one? that that's important? Um, the third poem, Jemapel Ivan. It's on page five. Uh, my name is Ivan. <laughs> why not call it My Name is Ivan? Was my big question here. Why is it in French? Is like, is there a reason here? And so uh, far, I don't feel like there is yeah well that's my biggest problem with it is that all of these things feel like there's not a reason to justify even the stylistic choices other than just like i liked it right and if like okay there's something to be said for that but when it's every poem in this i'm just like okay It, it just it feels like um this whole book to me it felt like a failed collection of poems like maybe there is something behind this but uh I feel like there's something behind all of them, but it's just not fully there yet on the page. Right. And I think I could like these poems if they were just a little bit more at the surface. And I know that there are some people who, you know, would criticize that. And like, that's fine. You don't need to, you don't need to want that. I don't give a fuck. But, but yeah, I, I found myself really, I mean, usually even on a first read of a whole collection as you're reading, you really start to understand what the themes are. And I feel like I was in some ways really relying on reviewers to tell me what those themes were. And in some ways they could not. Yeah. And that's a good, that's something too. Sophie sent me a couple of these reviews. I could barely get through any of them. And it was just like the same thing. And this is what academic, you know, We've talked about this a lot. This is a reoccurring theme on this podcast, right? Is like the poetry, you know, poetry's place, right? Like poetry's kind of, you know, what's it for the audiences? Um, even and not even talking like, you know, it, it's it's popularity or anything. We've done a couple episodes, listeners. You can go back and uh, catch all of those at uh, patreoncom heavyboard. But yeah, I think that's a big kind of academics are the only ones that kind of review poetry it's academics and then it's basically amateurs like instagram poets right that's who reviews poetry bloggers yeah which i would call amateurs yeah instagram poets 
And it's like, that's who reviews poetry. And the, the reason I often say uh, hyperbolic things on this podcast, like poetry is dead or something, is because when you read reviews like that, like there's just the rule right now that you cannot write a negative review of a book. It has to be only praise, no matter how well you, like no matter how you contort it into something, you just have to praise it. So like, Every review I've read of this, again, like Sophie said, is kind of praising something that I think isn't even in there. Um, and just, I mean, listeners, you can decide for yourselves. You read this book, right? But, uh, yeah, that that's going to be coming back up as we make our way through here. And that's why I asked if these were lyric, because when I was about halfway through, I was just like, are these lyric? Is she trying to play on the lyric? Is there, you know, I don't want to just be like... <clears throat> Uh, criticizing something for no reason like I, I try to be at least I think I try to be as fair as I can be like really trying to be like all right is there something here or am I just being an asshole you know like am I purposely not seeing something or is there something that just maybe didn't work out <clears throat> you know she was trying to do something and uh, I just have been really struggling to find that so that's why I just say like I found this book frustrated it was hard for me to get through I didn't like it I wrote, down, I wrote down in my notes. It's one of the worst poetry books I've read in a while. Uh, but I guess so far in this podcast, we have been reading kind of like the greats, you know, kind of like... Yeah, we've read some contemporary stuff. Yeah. Was there anything particular you wanted to, like a poem you wanted to discuss? Because I had almost nothing that... Which is very rare for me, which is, is, is again, like I was like, man, there isn't one poem in here. Um... One that I struggled with, not just in the poem, but elsewhere in the book, was My Enemy on page 10. And I just want to ask, like, do you know what My Enemy is supposed to be? Or is it supposed to remain ambiguous? Oh, I mean, I have no idea what any of these are. I, would I have a new sure. enemy. He is so good looking. Here is a photograph of him in the snow. He is the, in the snow. And so is the photo. I put it there because I hate him and because it is always snowing in the photograph. My enemy is acting like there are no neighbors, but there are always neighbors. They just might be far away. He is 100% evil and good looking. He looks so good in his parka in the snow. If you asked, he would call it a helmet. All he ever does is lie. He does not breathe or move or glow he is not that kind of man it is not that kind of snow yeah like i have no idea yeah i really struggled with this one i was like okay all i can make sense of is like all right we have an enemy the enemy is the photo it is snowing in the photo the photo is also placed in the snow outside it is away from our speaker is we can get into the like the photo is the representation of a real thing is that like is it the representation of the real thing uh that's the enemy well and and i mean just in i mean i know i have no idea but like in terms of just an example of what i'm saying in terms of like this kind of structurally failing at almost every level he is 100 percent evil <clears throat> and good looking he looks good it is like like it's repetition that does nothing right he's 100 percent evil and good looking he looks good 
And it's the same thing in like the one we just went over. So the very first poem that starts the collection, right? Where she's well, like, I mean, I think it's that thing hand, that hand, she's hand, 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 day, uh, believe right. anything, anything. I mean, anything, I would push touching, against this and say that it it's trying to build on that sentence. And also, I'm not a put like I think repetition is a big thing in poetry, right? Like we use it a lot. Yeah. It's whether or not you do so successfully. And I would say like I don't know if that. Sejura after he looks good is needed because then it would read he looks good in his parka in the snow. So yeah, I don't think it does that much more except sort of reiterate like you know it emphasizes this particular image and the speaker's feelings towards the image. Yeah, and people should listeners, people that are just listening and haven't read this, there's no punctuation. There's no punctuation beyond the Sejura. Uh kind of standing in here and it's used way too liberally in my opinion this is it's all over the place in terms of the scissora structure but yeah there's and that's another thing where i'm just like these kind of like the repetition here when he said he's good looking he looks good is the same as like that kind of like ah uh, in um that air of ruthlessness in spring the first poem on page three uh, i'm just having a little fun not much fun at all uh, like all this kind of like repetition I just it, it doesn't do what like because you know what is repetition usually used for I guess we should say power emphasis sometimes sound if you're doing a good little sounding thing yeah I also think saying someone's good looking and saying someone looks good are two different statements but right it after doesn't one another feel... Yeah, but it also doesn't feel like it's doing that much in this moment. Well, I would say it's doing nothing. So if we cut that entirely, he is 100% evil and good-looking. Shizora, in his parka, in his parka, break, in the snow. If Shizora, if you asked Shizora, he would call it a helmet, Shizora. All he ever does is lie. Like, it wouldn't matter at all. Like, that's my whole point with that example like that. Whereas, like you said, to, to, to basically just prove your point is what you're, you know, the point you're making. Whereas in, in the first poem, in um, page three, the, that air of ruthless things, I would, argue, I would argue, I would grant your point in that where I'm just having a little fun, not much fun at all. That changes it a little bit more than just the kind of, uh, he is a hundred percent evil and good looking. He looks good. Like it's a little bit different. So I would say like the use of the repetition in that first poem is more successful. Although those first couple lines when it repeats hand three times, um, you know, I don't think it works well there, but yeah, you know, just to say, yeah, your point is taken there for sure. Be yeah, my uh, enemy. And yet I'm not a tree on page 13. We could talk about that one felt more direct to me. Not every piece of it, but again, I was sort of clinging to what immediately jumped out as me, at me as something that, um, I felt like I could cling to in terms of trying to figure out what themes we were looking at in this book or, you know, even just in individual poems. This one jumped out at me. I have no relatives. I can't move. Therefore, I am covered in snow. My ability, my inability to speak has saved me from attending endless parties. Among my friends, I count the window. Opportunities surround me. And fame, the famous sidewalk, the famous building, everything is fine. 
I do not possess a license in this state or any. I'd like to cry out any in my sleep. I never do, never sleep, never turn around to watch the chimney. I do not know how to hold a rifle. What birds have for me is not respect. Yeah. There, yeah, there are a lot of moments in this one that I still struggle with, including the last line. The la- well, I guess the last two sentences. Well, if I'm being generous, <clears throat> and yet I'm not a tree, comparing or like the speaker, you know, not necessarily the poet, right? Listeners, we have to be, uh, you know, we have to make that distinction. And yet I'm not a tree. But the problem is, is that the comparisons between the, you know, uh, a human stand-in, i.e. speaker, versus what it compared to a tree, uh, it's just not enough, right? Like, it's just kind of unearned. Like, the things are so vague that it's kind of like, well, and yet I'm not a tree. It could be, and yet I'm not a rock, and yet I'm not a stone, and yet I'm not a branch or whatever. I'm not a cloud. I'm not, you know, it could be anything because all of that shit could be the same, make the same statement, right? And this is what I mean about the vagueness, <clears throat> is that it's so vague that it's, it kind of really flirts with meaninglessness, uh, which is why we struggle with it. So if I'm being generous, and so it's comparing, you know, a person or a fictional speaker or whatever we want to call it um, uh, to what a tree does, right? So the tree doesn't turn to watch the chimney, can't hold a rifle, can't possess a license, can't cry out in its sleep, um you know, can't even count windows, uh, you know, do birds respect it? Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Right. But yeah, so like that. So if I'm being generous, you know, this one is less vague, but still like, this is a good example of kind of, you know, not quite reaching what it's set out to do. At least I think. Right. Cause even here we're kind of clinging to the most tangible things in the poem, right? Like, I'm fully with it up until from attending endless parties. My inability to speak has saved me from attending endless parties. Oh, uh, and among my friends, I count the window. So there's, like, this also, you know, this is where maybe we get, like, a theme of solitude or loneliness or some kind of aloneness, right? And maybe there's some relationship to trees there and to nature, Um, We also have something about, like, what we pay attention to. I never turn around to watch the chimney. I do not know how to hold a rifle. Those aren't just things that you could necessarily not, you know, do because you're a tree. But things that you just might not pay attention to doing or might not ever try. So this one, I was sort of there but it does also start with like I have no relatives and that you know immediately to me signals like a loneliness which I think is sort of strung throughout all of these poems but then listeners you can hear us doing a little work for that right so there's a cool little line here right I have no relatives I would say that's a pretty good line in a poem I think the last line too what birds have for me is not respect right like i think that's a great little poetic line the problem is is that the rest of the poem just doesn't you know fails in that we regard. also need something more about what birds do have for you like we need some gesture before that right or reference to birds in some way at least that would be a more structured poem or, so if we I mention mean, the birds 
something do about birds, the friends comparing the friends to birds snow anything like that do birds not respect trees do they respect trees? like what am i supposed well, to believe about birds relationship to trees other than that they live in them do they respect them like, i'm not sure how to read that one there am i supposed to read it in terms of we just have rifle before it would they respect her if she knew or they, would they respect the speaker if they knew how to hold a rifle because that's what kills birds mostly that's that can kill them. So there's a lot of ambiguity here um, and not necessarily the kind of ambiguity that I personally want. Like I like where this is going as a poem. I think and there's something more that I want from it. Yeah. And it's, I think we, we should keep in mind too, as we read through this and listeners should too, with this kind of, this came out in 2011, which means she was probably writing it in the couple, you know, the years, couple years before that, right? And then it takes a while to get it published, probably a year or two. So maybe she's spending four or five years writing this book, maybe, right? We, I don't know. I didn't look that up. She could be a fast writer, who knows? But let's say it's on average four years here. Uh, right at that time, what was happening? Well, social media was started taking over the world, and by that, started very much to usurp the art of poetry. So social media now literally. I, I argue I argue often that social media was the death knell to uh, poetry and like we were hearing it ring out every day basically and I think this was the beginning of that is like look how vague I can be and people still pretend that there's a point to it right look at how empty the platitudes I can repeat are and we just pretend that it's actually saying something that like we bend over backwards to be like oh how beautiful how well done and I think this, not that this book symbolizes that entirely, right? I would never try to make such a claim, but I think it is something that needs to be kept in mind in terms of the last decade, what has happened to poetry. Yeah, especially somebody came out of UMass, right? UMass Amherst, considered one of the top programs at a lot of these, considered MFA. I guess they don't rank them anymore, but we all know, like, even though they don't rank them, right? That's another fake thing they do, right? Oh, we don't want to rank the MFA programs anymore. We just already know. <laughs> Because ranking implies that one is better than the other, and they're all just equal. They're all just the same. But yeah, that was happening. Uh, one I wanted to touch on, it's a short one, dude. Poem, poem ending with some advice on page 18. Oh boy. I'm just eating this oatmeal cream pie. Yeah. My husband bought them. And little Debbie, if you're interested in advertising, please contact us at heavyboardpodcast.email.com. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll, uh, oh, first we'll you want to talk about the poem right before it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I literally had nothing that I wanted to talk about particularly, so if you want to, yeah. So, okay, one of the poems that I was like, kind of like, okay, like maybe, maybe I'd read this book, like is the book that's on the back of this poem. The book that is on the back, or the book that's on, <laughs> the poem that's on the back of this book. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, the poem that is on the back of this book made me kind of intrigued. And the poem is the poem on page 17 called The Whole Thing is the Hard Part. You have to live where the house lands on you. What else can you do? Your bones are all broken and somebody loves you. Who is it? Tell me who loves you. Not as much as I do. I mean, I even built you a house and found you. Why won't you live in it? This one to me feels like a direct address to the reader that like I don't really need additional explanation on. What would you um, say this is about then? But at the same time, so here there is something that like 
baffles me, right? Because I kind of read this as like where the house lands on you is like, you know, you end up sort of where you end up in life. Right. And maybe I'm doing that thing where I'm reading too hard into the poem to make it too relevant to like my personal and real life. It doesn't always have to be that. Um, But that's how I'm personally making sense of this one. Which is fair game. Um, But it's perfectly reasonable. You end up in the moment you end up surrounded by people you love, maybe one, maybe a whole family, whatever. And you are tied to that. And you are also um, maybe hurt by that. You have to live where the house lands on you. What else can you do? I mean, it's also a reference to um, the Wizard of Oz, I assume. Have to be. There's no way you can reference to a house landing on top of you without being referencing that huge piece of culture from, yeah, you know, early 20th century there. When was that? 1930s? Wizard of Oz? Yeah. Um, But I think it's like, you know, you have to live where your life happened, right? Where you built your life, essentially. But, you know, where the house fell on you. But why won't you pay as much attention to me as I want you to? See, I built you this house. I built you these poems. Why won't you come live here with me? You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops a house on you. Oh, yeah, I love Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I don't know. I thought this was a good one. Yeah, so the whole thing is life. Homemaking... Yeah, you have to live your life. I want you to live here. Who loves you as much as I do? I wrote you these poems. I built you this house. Why don't you come live in this house? I mean, I didn't like it, but yeah, I'm I'm willing to accept any type of. I mean, I'm searching for it. Like, I, I wish somebody could give me an answer. Yeah, to this. Like, I'm. Um, explain it to me. But yeah. But yeah. Let's You're, talk I'm, about the next. Yeah. Oh well, no, go ahead. Well, the only reason I wanted to talk about that next poem, dude. Uh, it's because I'm pretty sure it's about a Geico commercial from like 2010. Yeah, me too. Um, if that doesn't sum up my thoughts on this, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what else to tell. Poem ending with some advice. This is how, all right, so listen up, listeners here. Uh, I want to live in the rectangle. It lights me up. I swear. It is nothing I have ever seen before. Reject this season, I said to myself, and fucked it out of existence thank you for coming i am happy to see you it is nice to see you from across the prophylactic lake here is my advice if you want to make a commercial about two tortoises with internet trouble their house should be a one-story ranch if you want people to you (laughs) if you want people to you know believe you yeah, I had a hard time with this one. So there's like, no I got epigraph. The reference. Right. There's no epigraph saying that. There's no to reference to it. But it's referring to a stupid Geico commercial, right? And it's and it's about a tiny little piece of logic about turtles living in a fucking house for an insurance company commercial. And like I said, listeners, I think this just sums up my frustration with the book here. (laughs) Like, this is just, okay, so this is about a fucking Geico commercial. And not even like, oh, it's like it's it's larger implications or something about advertising, life, whatever, these big themes this book's trying to touch on. But just about how, oh, well, how could a turtle get up steps? Fuck you, dude. Like, no. 
Like, like, fuck you. Like, no. I was like, this is about a Geico commercial? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? And James Tate called these magical? Tate called these magical. Oh, my God. I mean, I guess I just sound like an asshole, but whatever. I mean... Everybody knows I'm right, so... (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I also felt frustrated by this poem. I did not know what to do with it except for the whole Geico commercial thing. I don't believe these turtles living together in this house. Oh, my God. It just... uh, It's just... Well, and it's just the most real thing we can cling to in this poem right it's the most vivid thing we can cling to in this poem it's a thing that we're relying on in some ways to make sense of this poem right because what else do we have well it's literally called poem ending with some advice not advice to you not advice to us but advice to the marketing company that geico contracted out with and you know has been doing their kind of goofy silly commercials that they've been doing the last 20 years right like <laughs> the caveman the gecko all the stupid I don't little... know what season we're in I want to live in the rectangle it lights me up I swear it is nothing I have ever seen before reject this season I said to myself and fucked it out of existence thank you for coming I am happy to see you it is nice to see you from across the prophylactic lake. I am interested in the prophylactic lake, but I don't know what season we're in. I don't know where we are. Like, I don't, are we just inside of this commercial? Because that's not clear to me until the very end of this poem. So I'm like, just very confused. The you, it switches entirely from the I to the you right here, right? Right after, right there in that fourth line. So, and I fucked it, break out of existence. Shizura, thank you for coming. It is a sort of jarring. I am happy to see you. It is nice to see you. Again, that repetition that does nothing that repetition is supposed to do. Well, again, uh, from across... it is nice to see you from across the prophylactic lake. So it's changing the sentence while still also using that repetition. So I disagree that it's doing nothing, but not necessarily that it, like, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessary. Right. I would say the same thing. If we took it out, I'm happy to see you from across the prophylactic lake. Here is my advice. Like, it would work the exact right. same way. That's my whole thing. Like, if you want to do it, well, then it better not fucking... It, it should not be able to work unless you do the repetition. Like, that's a, that's when you need repetition, right? And you can think of all the best poems you've ever read. All right, let's do the one I always talk about with fucking poetry classes. Let's do um, Bishop's the Fish, right? Rainbow, 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 rainbow but... right? Like, that's repetition... I could not even begin to try and argue that those repeated lines in that poem are unnecessary because every single repetition, that would be a good example of the power, right? That we use fine. The reason that we use the structure of repetition is to create that sense of power and all. I'm not one as way, prepared one to, to make that it, kind but... of statement, but like, I agree on some level, but I also think that there are different kinds of repetition that work in different ways. And I think she's trying to do something here and it just may be, isn't fully there yet because again this poem for me isn't working like it just isn't there so nothing else about this poem except for maybe some individual phrases is going to work yeah like and there are places where i want to live in the rectangle it's not enough 
and like everything else. I mean, I mean, I guess I'm just gonna repeat myself at this point because I guess I've made my point. Everything is so vague, and I guess like a lot of people in the reviews and in these blurbs, right? They try to excuse that vagueness away by being like, "Oh, it's dreamlike." And we talked about this like when we did uh, Kelly's The Orchard, right? Episode four. Listen to it now. Uh, the way that um, shit, I just completely lost my train of thought here. We say it's all dreamlike. Well, when they talk about that, yes, yeah, so when we talked about that with Kelly uh, in the Orchard, episode four listeners, listen to it now, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, what she does in that, in terms of creating the world, I think that would be an accurate description of that book, in terms of she creates a dreamlike space that you can step into as a reader. This book does not. <laughs> like, right, like that would be a good comparison. One book is better than the other. Guess which one it is, listeners, all right? Like, <laughs> it's definitely not this one. It's the Kelly book. So, and I think that's like an excuse. So it's like a fancy way to dress up the language to say, oh, well, it's a dream. It's surreal. It's you shouldn't take it literally. It's like, but we don't get enough to tell us that we shouldn't take it literally or that we should kind of thing. So like, it's so, and you'd be like, oh, well, she's capturing this in-between space. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, okay. But it's not even Liminality. like concrete enough to give us that. It's liminal. Right? Yeah. But again, like this is, and that's why I think the structure of this, if you haven't read this listeners, like the structure of this, there's the very strict margins, right? Some reviews called it form. I don't know where they get that from. I guess just, just shorthand for it's um, not free verse all over the place. So that's why they call it form. Because again, nobody understands or cares about poetry. So they just make things up. Uh, but yeah, like that's why, because I think this, these poems are so desperate for structure and the way that they're put on the page here, the way that they're written so vaguely, the title's doing almost nothing to give us any type of grounding. If you want to do these kind of lofty or what some critics call dreamlike landscapes, there just isn't anything there. Like that, that's why it's, it, they're, these poems, they struck me as desperate, like desperate to be, I don't know because I really don't even know what they're trying to be. I guess they're trying to tell us something, but I don't I don't think they're even doing that. Poem ending with some advice like come in. Like the, that's just Oh, what a great title. Yeah, I mean, you get hints of uh, references to like sense of like constant change and uh you know, we, how the way that we live our private and imaginary lives right she has a whole poem about that one and these are like really interesting and like i think fruitful ideas for poems i just i struggle with how to make sense of them right now and maybe that's not what she wants you know i always say that's something too people always People always say that, be like, oh, well, you're not supposed to make sense of them. Just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. I want to be able to make sense of them. Yeah, exactly. Like to, Get the fuck up out Up to of a here. certain point, yeah. at least. Right? There can be some mysterious shit. I don't yeah. care about that. Like, not every... Some things can just be beautiful and don't need to mean anything else, and that's fine. Um, but you need something to anchor you. Yeah. And that is probably the advice that I have most received in any workshop I've ever been in and maybe why I'm both sort of drawn to a book like this and then also very frustrated with it. 
Yeah, but I think the and this is why listeners we uh, we want to do the workshop horror story. So send those fucking workshop horror stories in heavyboardpodcast at gmail dot com. The way that the poetry is structured now, it is set up for these fucking workshops so that you sit around with a bunch of other fucking amateurs and then they tell you what they think even if they're complete morons they are just like well and then you get it all in your head and you start changing things and it makes everything worse like i've never been in a workshop where there was more than maybe one maybe two people in that workshop that i was going to listen to and the rest i just knew i could disregard like it is just you know I mean, this gets even worse if you're talking outside the MFA world. So if you're talking like community workshops or like, you know, public library, like, oh my God. Yeah. It's just, you know, that shit can fuck you up, man. Like I've seen people get fucked up over that kind of stuff, especially if you're young, it's your first time and you don't necessarily understand that workshops in a graduate school setting are designed to allow people to be assholes, uh, settle personal vendettas, things like that. Like there's most people sitting in the room with you are not genuinely trying to make the poem as good as it can be giving you honest feedback. It is score settling time. It is, um, social currency time, whatever it is like that is what makes workshops fucking suck. And again, the fact that you're not allowed to... I guess some people are mean as shit in workshops, and unnecessarily so, but yeah, you're always not allowed to be mean. You're not allowed to say it's not good. No, 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 that could hurt the author's feelings. So then we have to read books like Heather Chrisley and have James Tate call them magical and pretend that it's all in seriousness. I'm in a bitter mood today, I guess. I just don't like it. <laughs> What else did you want to hit, you said? There's Indoors the Great on page 19. Uh, there, there are a couple others. We could skip that one if you want. Um, another one that's a reader address in Outnumbered. It's a little bit later in the book, around the middle, page 27. Does either of those interest you? Um... I mean, they all interest me about the same, which is like, you know, zero. Minimally? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was, I, I do remember thinking of something to be like, oh, that almost works. And it, I think it was like halfway through. I should have marked it, but of course I didn't because I was just so like, all right. I mean, I think twenty, the one on 27 kind of works. Maybe it was that one. Outnumbered. Outnumbered, yeah. At least one of us is alive. If this is happening, either you are reading or I am. Statistics favor you. It seems unfair. You get the living hands, or I will object and kill you. Not because I dislike you, because I like my life. And later, today, in the park, I will only apologize for my lack of regret. I will eat grapes. I will lie on the grass. I will have a created a little impossibility. That's all I need. A way in. And then to unfold like a bat. Yeah, again, it's a poem that more than anything, I think, helped me to understand or felt, made me feel like I could hang on to something. Like, as though I could read this as just being about the address itself. 
At least one of us is alive. If this is happening, either you are reading or I am. And that was honestly like most of what I needed to understand from this poem, right? It doesn't, we get, you know, I will only apologize for my lack of regret and I will eat grapes. I will lie on the grass. I will have created a little impossibility. That's all I need. Once we get to a little impossibility, I'm less sure though. Yeah, well, outnumbered. What is it talking about? Or what could we think, propose, realistically, get from it? My first inclination was statistics. <clears throat> At least one of us is alive. If this is happening, I take this to mean the poem. If this poem is happening, either you are reading or I am. Statistics favor you. It seems unfair you get the living hands. There are also like some weird moments like, you get the living hands, or I will object and kill you. Is that a little impossibility that she creates? Right, like, so again, this is a poem that I think I would have to reread a few times to feel like I made sense of it at all. But I do feel that the title could be doing more. Yeah. I could say that for every single poem, yeah. I think it's the, the speaker is outnumbered. By readers? By the reader. At least one of us is alive. Either you are reading or I am. It's also weird how these poems are working logically or not, you know? Well, I would say, yeah, they're not working logically. Like, there's no logic. But you sort of have to do some, you know, acrobatics to make it happen. Yeah, well, and this this is... This coincides with the internet, you know, social media usurping poetry, right? Logical leaps. We want to talk about that. I mean, I don't know. I well, I mean, I think there's something it. to be said with, you know, moving by association sure. as opposed to logic. And I think that can work. Yeah, and it, it can, can work well. But I just mean it's become like the only thing that matters. So a bunch of random thoughts scattered together on a page and then, pe- you know, 100,000 I don't likes. even think it's that. I think if... It's like, if it sounds kind of like a poem, people will, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people would just accept it, right? Especially in the social media world, when you get into like Instagram poetry, like you can sort of just write a sentence and, you know, you can argue poems in the purest way are like composed of sentences so yeah you could say that well you could just break up the sentence on the page and pay some attention to how it works with sound and there it is but people will just sort of shit out something that's really kind of been said 800 times by any emo teen who like bought a typewriter well, not even that it's said, I just mean... Like and slap the... their name on it and say, this is a poem. And people will go, yes, yes it is. I just mean, in terms of the logical leaps. <clears throat> like, in terms of talking about one thing, and then leaping to something that like has so little connection. Like, we call that craft right now, but like I would argue it's not... And they'll be like, oh, well, they can put these two things together. I was like, yeah, but, like, what about when it sucks? Like, when it doesn't work yeah. successfully, well, which is, like, like what most what poetry is Well, it's like you're talking about, now. like, a bad metaphor. <laughs> like, 
not even a bad metaphor because there is no metaphor. I don't even think that, like, would you say there's a lot of metaphor in this? Or? No, but I yeah, mean, I think it's similar. I mean. Well, that's what I mean. Like, even in this book, that there's not a lot of metaphor. Well, big characteristic in terms of social media, that is po what we call poetry now, which is just social media posts. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just more of that. I know this is just the beginning stages of it. She went to UMass Amherst, so she had a little bit more of that kind of, what we would just say, what would we call it, the kind of academic training to it, so it's not quite as bad as, like, a Instagram-only poet, but it's there. It was all there. This is when it all started, dude. Like, this is when it all started to just... Um, any mediocre sentence could be considered a poetry if you just said it enough. Any mediocre association, any completely illogical leap to another subject. Mid-poem, like we talked about that very first poem in this book. How in the middle part, there's like this really weird leap of logic to things that we just can't quite follow. And it's like, yeah, you know why you can't follow it? Because <laughs> it's so fucking random. It's, uh, it's like meaningless. You know what I mean? <coughs> Like, it isn't some fucking mystery that'd be unlocked with, like, constant, like, like, shit. It's just bad. Like, that's my biggest qualm with all this shit. Like, oh, well, if, you know, I read it enough, and if I really bent, you know, was as generous as possible, I'm just, yeah, well, when can we start saying things are bad, you know? Like, when can we start saying that, actually, this is a bad book of poems? I don't know. It doesn't appear anytime soon. Oh, but, definitely not now. Yeah. We cannot say Heather Crystal wrote a bad book. I mean, I just did. I'll say it again. We are, we are not saying. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, what do you think about trying to return the sun? What page is that? Because I was remind. It's the second to last poem, page fifty-nine. Trying to return the sun. I don't need anything. But you and some light, the world goes on, which obviously like made me think of Simic, right? Uh, but you and some light, the world goes on, getting inferred. It is so stubborn, and will not erase things. I think I should scrub out my eyes. You will recognize me still, won't you? I am much older now, older than I'll ever be. All these eyes in my head. And the light, what distinguishes my face from a tree, is the total lack of commentary. As in, that tree loves you, honestly loves you. I'm the noisy one who has to say it. It's talking about the sun? Oh, I don't think it's talking about the sun. I think that I still read this as like, you know, a speaker talking to a reader. What are they saying to the reader? I don't need anything but you and some light. So there's still like this rejection of needing other people. Which I think is something that is sort of a line that's strung throughout all of these poems. Just maybe not as concretely as I would like. I don't need anything but you and some light. The world goes on, getting inferred. I don't need those things. The world will continue to go on. I don't have to pay attention to it. Like a lot of this book is about paying attention. But again, like these, there are these like sort of key words that I think I also picked up from reading the blurbs at the front of the book. 
right? And you're like, this is what I'm clinging to as I'm reading this book. Um, I think I should scrub out my eyes. Will you recognize me? You'll, you will recognize me still, won't you? Um, so trying to return light, wanting to go inward, not wanting to be seen. Right? Back to that earlier poem that we talked about, maybe the first poem. What distinguishes my face from a tree is the total lack of commentary. My need to speak, essentially, right? And it's like this constant distinguishing of people from the natural world, right? Mm-hmm. Not wanting to go outside or not paying necessarily paying attention or choosing what to pay attention to. Or in some ways, there's like a sense of being overwhelmed. It feels like there's an anxiety behind these poems that I can't quite pinpoint. And that's fine. Like sometimes the feeling behind the poems can't be like fully tied down. It's just there. Um, but I would like to feel more anchored in this world, um, in this so-called magical world. Yeah, I like, think I don't is, think is she I... is untalented. I don't think that she is somebody who, like, I think that these could be strong poems. I don't necessarily think they are right now. Yeah. Well, clearly she thought they were. I mean, they're published in a collection. I mean, let's assume it's intentional. So it's intentional to be this vague is what I would assume. Uh, yeah. And I granted, this is only her second book. I guess there's this... a sense of like any moment I will start living. I will, you know, go outside and do this thing. Like there are a number of poems I think that allude to that too. Like I will. Yeah, man. And, and this is why I brought up Kelly because they keep saying there's a world here, but I don't know what the fuck it is. It's not, is it like in Kelly's, it was very obviously a fan it's like a fantastical garden kind of thing. But like, this is just like, uh, some vague thing, like some vague idea. Uh, when right addressing a reader, I, I don't know be hard to say for me yeah I struggled with this one um, I'm trying to find what I was thinking of but I've already kind of lost it I did have a few maybe questions maybe it's indoors the great maybe it was not for what you're t- for which one um, that sense of like loneliness and like not actually like wanting to engage with the world but also needing to and like being constantly aware of it which again is like a really big thing and really hard to like say in one way and hard to like it's not graspable so you have to like do a lot of work to make that come together in a collection if that's what you're trying to do but yeah I overall I struggled with this one um, again, the poem that was on the back, the whole thing is the hard part, kind of enticed me a little bit. Uh, I think the poems toward the end are a bit more together. The poems at the very beginning are a bit more together, and the poems in the middle I'm still really struggling with. Yeah, I had a few questions about themes and then just the title, which is start like, what's the title mean? Or what do we think? How would we guess? Um, <laughs> I want to say like the trees look at those trees but look at the trees don't forget to look at the trees something like that yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought about it for a little bit, and the only thing I had come to was that, well, maybe she just liked it, because I couldn't see very much in terms of, like, the actual contents of the book, how it, like, made a whole lot of sense. Uh, which is fine. You can dislike things artistically, but, um, you know, it's not enough for me. So, again, I just thought it was just... As I texted Sophie about this, and we, you know, as we always kind of talk, as we read through these books before we record here, and we take our notes and compare and stuff, it's, uh, yeah, I really struggled with, with trying to give it some type of meaning, so for me, I just noticed a lot of, I called it vanity when we were texting, I don't know if that's the best word for it, but it's clearly about <clears throat> aesthetic choices that are made, and aesthetic choices are important, I'm not going to deny that aesthetics or personal aesthetic choices are a big part of how we enjoy poems like them, like writer, like poets and things like that. But it just seemed like personal aesthetic and then didn't justify that personal aesthetic with um, the actual contents of the book. So I was one of the reasons I was really frustrated reading this. And like I said, called it one of the worst book of poems I've read in a while. <clears throat> I mean, I've read some bad ones, but in terms of like, especially somebody like Tate blurbing this, I was like, oh, God damn. Poetry really is dead, isn't it? Like, holy shit. This is magic? Then what the fuck is this other stuff? But yeah, I, and, then I, and then I had a question kind of about the themes. In terms of what are the themes, and we talked about this kind of loosely. I have a few. Um, I said skin came up a lot. And you taught, like, uh, belonging, containment. Uh, it shifts kind of throughout the book here as you read mm -hmm. along. But... Yeah, I don't know. You said, like, loneliness. Yeah. Longing. Uh, but one thing I did notice that was absent in terms of is, like, trees. I guess there's only a few poems that even mention trees. And that's why I was just like, so why is this book called The Trees, The Trees? I mean, I see quite a few. Like, sometimes they're sort of buried in there. And there's a lot you could work into trees, too. So just the image of a single tree, right? Well, we could talk archetypes. We could talk magical realism. We could talk, you know, total fantasy. I mean, talking trees, uh, worshipped trees. You go through human history. There's a lot of, like, kind of the magical sacred spaces. The trees that we used as, like, religious grounds, right? Yeah, I think Shit. more than Sophie anything, I just I watched got... that House of the Dragons, right? The gods right. would, right? The fucking yeah. religiously, like, trees are involved in the religion and stuff like that. So, you know, not uncommon thing. I just, like I said, there isn't enough in the actual contents of the book to justify it, in my opinion. <laughs> my last note here is this is a joke. This is why people don't like poetry. Like, <laughs> books it's like frustrating. this. Frustrating. I mean, I was just looking at this poem called Good Luck, Everyone. It's like closer to the end of the book. And this is a short book. Like, I read it. I don't usually like to do this. I read this book in one day. Um, I'm a slow reader, as we know by now. And that is also true of poems. I like to be able to like go back and read a whole like you know section of the book after I've finished it now this book is also not divided into sections so that doesn't really apply here um, but I was looking at this poem called good luck everyone page 42 hunger has the man purchase a bun the man eats the bun then he has no bun and no hunger the man lives in Illinois 
Hunger has the shape of a different state, a square one. One hunger is much like another, and in the park, similar statues don't move in a similar way. Is anyone hungry? Has hunger prompted anyone to wander slowly across state lines in search of food and, then, and tracking one kind of soil on top of another? In the book The Man is Reading, there is a tree-based society. The women and the men all live in trees. The man gets confused between sticks and jokes about sticks. Each one goes, and then it ends, but they are different. Like, there's something here at the end that I'm supposed to, that I feel very strongly I'm supposed to get, like, some joke about. <laughs> or some clever trick, something. Right? Some, some playfulness about between sticks and jokes about sticks. Each one goes, and then it ends, but they are different. Yeah. Uh, it's a good example of just yeah, a big flat line for me. Just every poem in this, a big flat line and just remains flat. Everything. You know, like I was saying, I don't expect to grasp the book on one go. But usually there are like some sort of standout thing, something that can anchor me in at least a handful of the poems. And even if they're not all great and they never are all great like it's very rare that you find a collection of poems where everyone is great and sometimes you have a few really fucking phenomenal ones and maybe the poems themselves aren't individually genius but the book works on the whole right and you know that's a different conversation about whether individual poems can hold their own or if they you know are only working as a piece of a book and that's a whole other thing it was hard to find something to hang on to in this book and i've seen this in a few books that i have read and it makes it really hard to keep going back to like contemporary poetry like and i want it i crave it i crave it all the time but then you buy a book of poems you commit yourself to it and you know you want to support you know, contemporary writers in this, especially in this genre where nobody really buys the books except for other poets. Um, and I'm happy to buy those books, but it frustrates me when you spend the money on the book. Because it's very rarely, unless it's like a famous poet that everybody knows, it's very rarely like something that you can find at the public library or that you can, um, you know, find for $4 on eBay, which of course is not the same as supporting <laughs> the author necessarily, but still, as someone who does not currently make a ton of money, like, I, I want a little bit more. And maybe that's like a shitty attitude. It's not really about the money spent so much as like the experience of reading. I just, I wanted a little bit more from this. And it also frustrates me sometimes when people <laughs> like, this reminds me of you. And I'm like, fuck. Why? Yeah. That's a different problem. You can cut that out. <laughs> I remember very distinctly times like visiting writers and stuff telling me to check out certain authors. And whenever I did, I was just like, what the fuck were you telling me to check out? Like, 
Yeah, and sometimes I can understand, like, I, I understand why this book was recommended to me. And it also, I think, shows some of the same issues that I have with my own work. But I have a hard time with this book. And part of me, like, wants to return to it to be like, you know, is it often what happens when I read a book like this is I think that I'm the problem. I'm like, I must have fucked up somewhere. I didn't read hard enough. I didn't understand something. And you have to kind of remember that's not always the case. But there is still that part of me that, like, the the student in me still reads something and thinks that because it's published, you know, they must know better than I do. Yeah, but... And it's not necessarily uh, true. Yeah, dude, that is not... I, listeners will know, <laughs> I do not have that problem. Uh <laughs> I remember when I got, like, when I was a first-year grad student, and I volunteered to be one of the readers on the magazine, right, that we yeah. ran, and all these people, like, the uh, you know, second, third-year ones, grad students that would come to me and be like, oh, it's going to be a lot of work. It's Sometimes you don't, you forget what even a good poem is as you read through, and I was just like, eh, no, I don't, I don't have that problem. Like, I've never had that problem. I've never had an issue just reading something and then telling you what I thought of it. Like, I just, I'll listen to people. I, like, somebody, like, so if somebody, like, when we did Moby Dick, like, Bloom, I'll be more interested in, like, listen to somebody I respect that has a different point, like, Sophie, right? Like, Sophie will tell me she disagrees. And I care more about that than I would just, like, personally be like, oh, maybe I'm... No, it has to be somebody I respect telling me and giving me a convincing kind of argument or something, and then I'd reconsider, but usually after the first read, I know whether I would... Right, and if you're like me and you have an inferiority complex, you know, maybe it's, like, more like my experience. (laughs) And that's why I always tell, like, yeah, if you're struggling to figure, oh, what's good, it's like, well, (laughs) then you don't have a taste yet. Like, all right, like... Well, also, you have to, like, like it. And I just didn't really enjoy this. Yeah, I didn't. And uh, that's also okay. Trust your instincts. Nobody, everybody's afraid of their own gut now. That's an issue. But maybe that's why we only have um, positive poetry reviews. There, I don't think there's been a single negative yeah. review. I would say, I mean, dude, like, in terms of this around this time, like, books published after 2010, I can think of maybe two or three that I thought were good and like the last decade has been such a disaster for a lot of poems for poetry in general uh you know social media killed a lot of things <sighs> killed poetry first that's for sure holy shit well and everyone's a poet you know and you don't even know it yeah Ben Lerner yeah don't bring me back to Ben <laughs> available wherever you get your podcasts are we done here? We hit everything you wanted? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done with this. Buy it if you're interested, listeners, although this is one you could probably skip. Yeah, but, like, if you want to, like, you know, buy it and tell us if we missed something, please. Put it in the comments. I am so eager for these poems to be about things. Well, I'm sure you could do it. I mean, dude, I turned in a paper in grad school where I argued, purposefully argued, that the Dottis tried to make perfect sense with their poems. I got an A. 
like like it's 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 a joke <laughs> like like it's a joke dude like that's what i mean like it doesn't matter like there is no study of poetry right now like it doesn't exist like and everybody's just kind of like like it was such a ridiculous thing to argue but like whatever it didn't matter all that mattered was that i turned in some piece of paper with writing on it like we like to sound poignant yeah like and it's it's incredible it's incre that was for master's program listeners too so of course this is i mean it's a joke there is no study any longer it's a degree factor it's people that want to talk about it and pretend that they're like want to do things want to write poems want to like poems because it's kind of like an esoteric thing now right well i think people want to write poems they just don't want to read them well uh, yeah i mean they don't want to write poems they want to write social media posts like which is what they do like and that's what it is so when, when because it's a social media post there's no structure there's no attention to line integrity there's no attention to the traditions or what we would talk about <clears throat> that make what poetry what it is you know the thousands of years of writing that came before it no it's literally We're just saying just, be better poets yeah yeah i'd like to see better poetry and i'd like to see people actually trying to do better poetry but like it's futile i mean that's what i mean i don't even know if there's a place for that clearly it's not wanted i mean even the big established institutions clearly don't want better poetry so then we get books like this and take calls them magical <laughs> front page there magical all right there is one book that I like that I think Lena Dunham blurbed, and I was really pissed about that. What book was it? Uh, it was Khaki Wilkinson's The Winona Stone Poems. Winona Stone Poems. I wonder if that would still hold up for me. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I just because of her style. But I will. I'm not going to say that those poems were bad. Because there was clearly a lot of, like, those were very well structured, and then she has a lot of meter and rhyme in those, too. Something you don't see very often <laughs> in contemporary poetry. So, and the, and the reason is, is because meter and structure and rhyme are fucking hard, right? Like, it's hard to do that. It takes a lot of work, a lot of rewriting, a lot of revising. So it's also again, not a part of every poetry education. I mean, if you even get one, if you're like an English major or if you like specialized in poetry in any way in school, like my only education in meter happened as an undergrad. And I don't think. And that's because you had one particular teacher that thought it was important. And that's. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as a grad student, it wasn't even touched. We had maybe one day on it, one week. We had zero. School. Yeah. We had none. And we talked about sonnets and we did not talk about iambic pentameter. <laughs> yeah. And this is not, and that's not like some, you know, uh, pay to play fucking um, MFA, which is the majority of them, right? Like this was considered a top, top program. And yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Like there is no study. Like there is yeah. none. It's just, just right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It's a feeling, right? Just yeah. write oh, your book. Just, just write your, your, your breakup poems and we'll yeah. praise the shit out of them for being mediocre. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. I did have one class that was like, research something and write about it. Like, just anything? I was like, who doesn't, don't, like, isn't that, like, just part of the process anyway? Like, there are occasionally poems where you just have to look shit up. 
Oh, it doesn't matter. So they wanted you to look something up about a specific poem or just like... No, just like write a poem that was based on research. Yeah, it was really vague and really dumb and I hated it. Again, it's Instagram. That's like, you know, yep. the prompts when you get like the... You, I mean, if you just go click on like the hashtag writing community, just click on those and see the posts. I mean... They're either some type of self-promotion or some type of, yeah, like Instagram-style writing prompt or something that people can pretend to be writers by yeah. scrolling all day and saying that they hang out in this community, therefore. But all right, yeah, we're way off topic now. Any final thoughts? I guess we did it already. No, just a little gas. A little gas. Letting out some toots. A little toot in the morning there. This afternoon now. Reminder to listeners, we're still looking for those workshop horror stories. If you like what you heard and you heard what we're talking about with workshops here, that's the kind of shit we're looking for. Send them to us, heavyboardpodcast at gmail.com. Support us on Patreon for just a few bucks a month. You can get full, uncensored episodes, uh, bonus episodes, interviews, all that good stuff that we're starting to do. Subscribe on patreon.com slash heavyboard. If you don't want to pay for that or you can't afford it, you can support us by liking, sharing, leaving a review, five stars preferably, uh, on any podcast that you, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, support us on that. Share them if you like them. All that good stuff. Uh, and next week, we are doing James Baldwin's Giovanni's Room. Classic, classic, uh, instant classic. A very famous book, so I'm sure you've heard of it. We're going to get that going next week. Tune in for that one. Don't want to miss it. This has been another episode of Heavy Board. And uh, we will see you. I am heavy, heavy, heavy board. Sweats and the day sweats, pal. Pal, I do.